HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring the intersection between food, agriculture, and competition. Learn how a chicken raising contest in the 1940s led to the poultry industry we have today. And they were going to run a contest and try and develop what they would call the chicken of tomorrow. We'll also venture into the world of agricultural video games, where a new set of tractors is making a lot of fans happy. The biggest addition to 19 was the John Deere's. That's what everyone was hyped for. And we pay a visit to a group of Indian restaurants that aren't on the friendliest of terms. Usually they wait for my restaurant, but after a long wait, they go to next door or downstairs. But this is how they do business. They completely copy whatever we do. Embrace your competitive spirit and be the first to listen to new Meet and 3 episodes by subscribing now. That's Meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. To the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Arvid Rosengren. We'll talk to Arvid about life after being the best sommelier in the world, wine, and a lot more. We'll taste a Vino, Vino Verde? Vino Verde. Vino Verde for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Swedish-born Arvid Rosengren was always intrigued with food as a kid, but not before putting nanotechnology behind him. We'll make him explain that. He honed his wine skills participating in sommelier competitions, winning Best Sommelier in Sweden in 2010, Best Sommelier in Europe in 2013, and ultimately rising to the Best Sommelier in the World in 2016. He made his way to the U.S. after many years on the Scandinavian and European restaurant scene, 
Arvid now is the wine director at Legacy Records in Hudson Yards, around Hudson Yards, part of the Delicious Hospitality Group. Arvid, welcome to The Great Nation. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. Um, I want you, you have a very interesting background, and I want you to cover all the good stuff. Um, I don't want you to dwell on it forever, but give everybody a little... uh, background on your journey in life and wine that really got you to two very important places. One is you just relinquished the best sommelier in the world. We'll talk about that. And you're the wine director, truly, you know, one of the hot restaurants and groups. So give us a little story. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll try not to dwell too long on, on many of the details. But I, um, as you said, I grew up in, in Sweden, in the south of Sweden, uh, not in a family where gastronomy played a, a huge part. We cooked at home uh, as much as possible. But um, my parents split up when I was fairly young. And, and, and food was, you know, making good, nutritious food was, was a big deal to to both of my parents, uh, for me and my siblings, but it was never fancy. We didn't go out very much, but I was always intrigued by, by food and by the dining experience. So, um, you know, as an example, I, I, when I was, I think, seven years old, my, my, my birthday wish list was to go and have sushi, which was at that point a very new thing. <laughs> big deal, right? Yeah. Big deal. It was one Japanese restaurant in my town in, in Sweden. They did <laughs> not make sushi, but they made a sashimi, so that was, I was happy. It was, it was close. <laughs> Funny. Um, so, you know, fi- you know, fine dining and wine was never a big part of it. I mean, there was wine occasionally at the, at the table, but looking back on it, it was co-op, Rioja, or that kind of thing. So nothing that, that was too fancy. But I probably tasted wine back to being, you know, young teens um so but my dream was 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 to be a chef when i was uh, when i was a kid but i also did pretty well in school and and the two aren't necessarily compatible in 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 europe if you want to go down to the culinary school you make that choice when you're 15 16 years old and and i, I went a much more sort of general route study but you had you have to get through your parents first too. Exactly. i'm sure they yeah. blocked the chef oh, thing right yeah i mean they would they would they would have supported that too right. but but uh, i think uh, I think they thought of it as a waste. So yeah, it was I, it was an uphill battle, um, and which I lost. And I, <laughs> I, I ended up studying a lot of math, science, and I studied engineering uh, towards nanotech uh, or nanoscience engineering. Um, How does that come about? I mean, is, a, is there an interest, or they put it in front of you and it looked? You good? know, I think I think at the time this was this was uh, around uh, sort of just after. Uh, it was around the year 2000, and it was just one of those hot terms that was being thrown okay. around. So, and, and the sort of the, the, the popular reading around it was cool. It was a bunch of cool applications. And I think halfway through that sort of education, two, three years in, I realized that the sort of practical application of what I thought, thought was cool to read about would be me stuck in front of a computer screen or stuck in a lab coat, cool. running simulations and looking at a microscope for the rest of my life. And I, I've, I realized that I... Yeah, well, I didn't realize at the time, but I I, I took a, a break, uh, which I guess I'm like a I'm still a very long hiatus from that. that I would uh, say so. Yeah. You're, you're not a nanotechnologist. <laughs> no, definitely not. Right. Um, but you know, the good thing is that gave me that gave me the basic sort of chops to be able to understand biology, chemistry, a little bit of physics. I can I can read. I can talk about the finer sort of technical points of winemaking uh, and, and understand what people are talking about, and that's great. But, um, yeah, I realized at the time that, that I, I needed to look for something else. I had 
worked in restaurants and I had sort of honed my interest a little bit during my studies. I, you know, it was a chance for me to meet with sort of some, some older, more sophisticated peers than my, uh, my sort of uh, working class background people in, uh, in, uh, in, in my hometown where we, you know. You did work at McDonald's. I did work at McDonald's. Okay. First job ever, McDonald's. I spent okay. a lot of time. Even at, in yeah. Sweden, everybody. Oh, yeah. Right? Even in Sweden. Um, I spent, uh, I don't know, it was close to two years uh, at McDonald's. Wow. Yep. yep. Usually it's like six months. I got to get out of here. You <laughs> put your time. It was, a, it was a, had some extra cash in my pocket. It was great. Okay. Good um, uh, and yeah, well, I I kind of developed a little bit more of an interest in in, in food and uh, maybe not wines as, as much, but me and my group of peers in, in, in at university, we'd we'd cook, we'd you know we'd find excuses to throw dinners, and it was probably more beer and whiskey at the time, but wine was certainly involved at the time. You know, the 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 college age is a lot more fluid in in Europe, so and I got in very young, so m- many of my peers were two, three, four, five years older really? than me, and probably had like better tastes and. And we're old enough to go buy booze too, which is a huge thing. Yeah, different there. <laughs> yeah. So when does the restaurant stuff happen? You know, when do you actually yeah, start so, getting in and working? So I, I, for like proper restaurants and not your McDonald's or kind of lunch type restaurants, I, I, I started working, um, sort of after I went on that break. Really, uh, a friend of mine got me a job at a at a wine shop. Really, that was my first real exposure to like better wine. Um, so that was started out as a sort of a summer hiatus gig and, and, and I immediately sort of got hooked. I, I, I realized that people were going to come in and ask, uh, ask questions and expect me to have answers. You like that. I like that. And it's, and it really made me, I, I found it fascinating and I, I, I realized that it, it sort of satisfied my nerdy book study side and the sort of service side. And I liked, I liked what was in the glass, too. So I began bringing bottles home and began reading about different things, just so I could field some of the questions. And I did that for a while. And then one of my good colleagues at that place really, really said, like, after I'd spent, I think, a year there, or a little more, a year and a half, maybe, was like, hey, if you're serious about this thing, if you really, you're like, you're good about wine, but you got to get, if you want to do this, if you want to gain the experience and the tasting database of, 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 of you know, someone who's going to be good at this, you need to go work as a sommelier. Uh, so you need to like make that your goal. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Like and a real restaurant. Yeah. Like a real restaurant, <laughs> uh, which there wasn't that many of, uh, where I was. So, okay. so I moved, um, and I started, I, I studied, I actually studied to become a sommelier and, and worked, took any opportunity I could to work in, in, in better restaurants, uh, better restaurants. And I worked at a whole bunch of sort of events, projects and private dining. And, and this and is all still in the South of Sweden, right? Well, or my studies were further North, okay. but I would, I, still I, I in would, the country. Yeah. Now. Yeah. So okay. I spent, but I, but I did get into a really great little, uh, Italian restaurant in Copenhagen, uh, sort of on a whim. And this was at the time, uh, uh, it still is a one Michelin star, fancy little cool place that, that had a massive Italian wine list. Um, looking I, back now, a good one. Yeah, I'd say so. At least more Barolo than Tuscany. No, or more either? more Tuscany. They okay. were they were sort of Umbrian based, uh, okay. family. So their, their, their heart was more in the central, uh, Italian sort of style. Um, and they, you know, I started as a, as a, as a busser and a runner and I, I, I learned my way sort of slowly throughout the months of, um, you know, I got more and more stuff to do with the wine program, which was, which was great. Nice. Um, so that was my, the, really the beginning of it. And then le- relocated to Stockholm and got my first job as a sommelier in, I would say. What year are we talking? This would be 2000 and, uh, 
2007. No. Okay. Yeah, 2007. Not that long ago. I know. You know, it's when, gone we, fast. when we get to where you are yeah. now, I mean, that's not that long ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been intense. All right, so what get quickly get us from there to the mm-hmm. present. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. It's like a parallel story here. Like one is my, I guess my my restaurant career, and at the same time, sort of the the the, the competition career, which started happening sort of at the same time. So while I was working, good in, point. Yeah, I was. It was never like a dream of mine uh, in in a way. While I had, you know, I, I kind of thought of it as a as a not a silly thing, but of such a niche thing to sort of compete as a sommelier i was much more about doing the actual sort of work in a restaurant and i love that but when i when i got to stockholm and started working there i i sort of shared the job title with uh with uh this guy who's who's a, who's a friend of mine but he was competing for the best title of the best sommelier of, of sweden and seeing as we sort of shared the job i was like i can I can at least beat this guy. That was more of sort of a friendly. So that's rivalry. when your ball started growing, <laughs> yeah. and you said, "I so can I do like, this." Yeah, I was helping. Plus, I want to smack this bastard. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, I was, I was, uh, I was helping him train, and like halfway there, I was like, I, "You know what? Let me, let me get, let me try this." <laughs> and I did. I did. I did pretty well. I didn't win that year, but but I, I, I got oh, far. Wait, wait. You, yeah, you did better than just not win. I mean, weren't you the runner-up? I was the runner-up, and uh, and that was kind of a shock. Um, but you I were realized, surprised? yeah, yeah, okay. it was not supposed to be that, be that quick, but, um, you know, the, 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 what I immediately realized was that even if the competitions are really tough and can seem kind of esoteric and niche, it was a way to, for me to sort of force myself to keep growing and learning and studying because I could see that. And I still see it's very easy for people once they get to the sort of once they land that job title. All right, now I'm a sommelier or now I'm a wine director. Then your sort of growth tends to stifle a little bit. A, you're caught up in the work, but also you're like, you've reached the goal. Uh, What point of it is there for me to learn about, you know, these wines that I might not have any sort of personal interest in or I'm not going to be buying. So this was a way for me to force myself to, to not get stuck in that trap. Um, and and yeah. So you run her up in that competition, mm-hmm. and you alluded that the competition thing ran parallel to yeah. You so know, work and so right. What so happened? This, this was this was now in um, so 2008, beginning of 2009, sort of really just right after the financial sort of meltdown, um, and uh, due to some other factors, namely the, the difficulty of buying or finding an apartment at that point in 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 that financial climate um we had to me and my girlfriend at the time had to relocate we moved back to the south of sweden and i moved back to work in copenhagen i I kind of missed that scene it was a much more mature restaurant and wine scene at the time so we we relocated to uh to uh, yeah for me to work in, in in copenhagen and and uh and i kept on i also realized that i would be you know as you know, I'd, I'd finished runner-up in that competition. I realized that hey, this is, I can I can do this. I can I can figure this out. I can, uh, I think I can understand like figure out what they're looking for and dial that in and 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 keep studying and and being a, a huge nerd. I I thought I I can I can really do this. Can, so which yeah. competition comes next? Next up comes uh, best family of Sweden and then right. best family of uh, the, sort of the Nordic countries. So Denmark, Sweden. And uh, what happened with those? 
I won both. So okay. that, that was a, no runner up first time in yeah, walk out with the medals much, and all of much, that. Yeah. So what does that do? Does that make you a hotter property in Scandinavia or does that convince you I got to get out of here? <laughs> no, that definitely, I was, I, it took me a long time to, 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 uh, to figure that part out, but, uh, no, that, that definitely opened up some doors and, yeah, like I said, parallel to, to again, sort of switching back and forth, but in that sort of financial uh, climate, I also realized that, because I moved to Copenhagen to work for a, a really fancy restaurant, um, and at the time, they did not uh, survive that, that climate. So ah, at the same time, I... Shut down. Yeah, they shut down. They're reopened again now and are doing really well, but, but they didn't, didn't, didn't do well at that point. So my, my sort, of fine, uh, sort of fine dining dreams, which is what I thought I would be doing and what I sort of had done until, up until that point, were kind of, you know, put on pause. And I, and I took a job for, as a sort of a wine director or head sommelier or something of that nature for a... Um, a much different restaurant, a, a bigger operation, a very well-respected group of people who opened up um, a steakhouse, sort of an, ah. an American-style sort of exclusive steakhouse in Copenhagen. A lot of Cabernet. It was a lot of Cabernet, for <laughs> sure, yeah. And, uh, but it was a massive success, and there was a lot of different things, too. These were guys that, have, that were chefs and, and sommeliers. Who what started. year are we at now? Is this, this is uh, 2009. Nine, so it's still early. Yeah, still early. Um, but I realized then in that environment how much more I thrived on, you know, working with a wine list and selling bottles as opposed to working with a sort of a set tasting menu and wine You're starting pairing. to feel what's important yeah, to you. Yeah, I remember like one of those first days when we just opened and it was, it was painful. Like I, 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 it was so, <laughs> it was like I, I did cry multiple nights out of, in, in that opening. Okay. We were so crushed. <laughs> but terrible. I had this little shelf where I kept the little tasting glasses of everything that I opened and it was just like multiple bottles. I had two, two different wines from, from DRC. Amazing and some stuff. Like old Gaia and Russo and some Cabernet too. That's you the know? trade-off. It was just like, You get stuck shit. in that yeah. environment, but you but get all, to... Yeah, exactly. So yeah. all of a sudden, I was, I was in a fast-paced um, a la carte restaurant, but selling really great bottles of wine and buying great bottles of wine. And that grew. It was such a huge success, even in that economic sort of climate, that that turned into a restaurant group and within sort of the next five years, I grew with them and, and ended ah, up to being the... the so a big chunk of time there. Yes, yeah, yeah. So exactly. into the early teens. Yeah. So now what happens? So I mean, I, you're, in, you're here in the States, so yeah. you got to, you know, we <laughs> so got to finish up here. Get me to the I, States. Yeah, I got to finish up the background. It finished, short, shortly, what, I, what, hap- what happened was I took over buying for that entire group of restaurants. I'm buying for... Eight restaurants at the very end. She of it. basically rose to the top. Yeah, on the yeah, with beverage that, with and that wine job. side, so it was, it was yeah. an amazing opportunity. And the wine programs were all serious. So I was spending a lot of time traveling, a lot of time meeting winemakers, a lot of time all buying wine. All the good wine. that goes yeah. with the program. So that was good. You were wrapped. In. But at the same time, I was I was getting to a point where I was again sort of in behind a computer screen. Uh, bo- both like bored and stressed with my life at the same time. You're like stuck in email hell and and with a with a spreadsheet more than you are with guests and wine at that point too. Even though you're sure, yeah. So I had gained a lot of great contacts in the world of wine, and I was meeting with all the producers, but I wasn't selling that much personally anymore, and wasn't right. talking to the, the guests anymore, which I missed a lot. So I felt like I had to step down. Really, I was 29 at the time. That's it. Yeah. Shit. So I felt like this has gone. This had moved too fast. Um, at the same time, I'd, I'd, I'd won uh, Best Sommelier in Europe. 
So everything was sort of so high paced and intense that I felt like I needed to work in a restaurant again. I need to get back on the restaurant floor. I need to say, you know, turn this great job that I have down and, and, and go do something simpler. Uh, What's important to you? Yeah. You know, sort of your roots. Right. So, so where does that lead you? So through uh, uh, one of those real spiders in the web of the wine world, the guy we both know, Rajat Parr. I was, Absolutely the best, yeah. the sweetheart. Yeah. So There's him, a guy, and I'm not rubbing this in your yeah. face, you don't have to win any goddamn competitions no, I, to know a <laughs> bottle of wine. We exactly. agree on that, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, you and him are like the perfect, you know, yeah. man. No, that's absolutely right, so true. So what no, impact no does titles. Raj have on you? Right. No yeah, so, yeah, so Raj was just a guy that, that would, um, I would see a lot, just he'd come to, to Copenhagen where I was, I'd see him in, just kind of around the wine world, in California, I'd see him for, for various things in London or whatever, and... He introduced me. He'd, he'd do these sort of gastronomic tours in Scandinavia at the time mm. where he'd bring a bunch of people along. And I went on a couple of those. We'd end up at Faviken in, in Sweden and spend some time in Stockholm and Copenhagen, that kind of thing. I traveled with a couple of, of, of French winemakers and then we all met up in Stockholm. And, and part of the crew that was then going to spend four or five days together uh, – was besides Rosh was was Robert Bohr who who is now my sort of partner at Legacy Records. So we really just this was in the end of 2014. That's your connection to Robert, per, exactly. There. So we'd we'd we we had a lot of friends. That point was a prolific in, wine guy, right? We had a lot of friends in common, and we knew of each other. But we we never met up until that point. But we we realized on during those during those uh, that short week that. We had a lot in common. We like believed in the same style of service. We liked the same kind of wine. We liked the same kind of music. We we just clicked really well. And I was at the time I was like I said I was I was getting bored with my job and I kind of expressed expressed that to this group of people and I, I was entertaining some different things around Europe, because, um, you don't kind of step down from the kind of job that I had no. to go. It's like you have to kind of have to go in exile a little bit. Right, leave um, the country. <laughs> yeah, but and he and and uh, I remember this vividly. We were at Favik and, and and these guys were like, "You got to go to New York. That's the place to be, and that's like really the center of the wine world." And, were and you open to that? Like you, that? Well, I had you? never, I'd never thought about it before. It wasn't. But a dream after of mine. that, yeah, I remember calling my my today wife, then girlfriend, and being like, "Hey, do you? How about New York?" And she was like, "All right, let's how do it. quickly let's try it after that." Well, Does I don't know if happen? I should. Yeah, well, we were, we were. I was there very quickly after. I was there okay, a couple of we weeks don't have after. To get into yeah, that. yeah. So um, you come. Robert gets you to come over to Charlie Bird, yeah, right? Yeah, and then I, uh, then I come back. I was was there it for just Charlie trip. Bird in those days, or was Pasquale? It was just there? Charlie Bird okay. in those days. And I come back. The first week that I start was the week of the sort of the Palais wine madness, you know, right. the Burgundy uh, <laughs> celebration. Uh, so that was my first week in New York at Charlie Bird, and I was like. You were opening so many legendary bottles of wine, but Crazy. it was you know the late late nights and pain, you didn't work painfully. La Palais, did you? I did. You yeah, did. Yeah. You did. Painfully the, hard, and I was like, I, is this is this what it is? Is this what the city's like? I don't know if I can like keep this up. It's amazing, but I don't know if I can keep doing this. You're here. Yeah. What? Um, <laughs> it's great. So you're a Charlie Bird. Let's finish up. Mm. You're a Charlie Bird. How long? And then you moved to Legacy when? I was at Charlie Bird, I guess, for. If I started in early 2015 and I, I ended in late 2017, so two years. Okay. Yeah. And you go over to the new their newest opening, Legacy Records, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about yeah. in a few minutes. Yeah. We I will, we'll jump back to exactly. that. Exactly. We'll jump but back to the competition. Too. As I <laughs> as I mentioned, you know, Arvid laid out his sort of competition schedule yeah. uh, through his career. 
But the reality is Arvid was the reigning best sommelier in the world, which he won in 2016, and it's a th- every three-year contest. So he just relinquished his title uh, the end of last year. Um, so he was the reigning, com- reigning uh, best sommelier. So Arvid, what I want to talk about is that's got to be one of the most intense competitions. Um, so sh- what's the best sommelier competition in the world, I mean, yeah. w- w- what is that? Is that the top of it? And then let's talk about the competition itself, right. prep, and all of that. I mean, you can discuss. Uh, there, there are various. You know, you can talk about the the court of master sommeliers and all that. Uh, I think the competition puts that to a. You know, that's that on on steroids. You're basically. Like like you said, it's a competition that's held every three years. The people that get to go to this competition are selected to represent their country, or they've won one of the sort of best of Europe or best of Americas or best of... It's kind of like the golf thing. To get in the best tournament, right. the Masters, yeah. you have to be a winner yeah. of something else. So there's roughly way. 60 people, um, each representing their, their home country, each the best of who, you know, their, their, their selective country, uh, competing for this title. And there are a bunch of people who, who, who are um, master sommeliers and and even a master of wine at some point and 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 there's a bunch of great people competing for this title and what it basically is 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 the same kind of thing like if you've seen the song movie, movie you've you've seen the, the elements sort of, of what it yeah takes. the elements are more or less the same they're a little different in the way that this is sort of more audience facing and it's more geared towards um I wouldn't say that it's showier, but it's a bigger. A, 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 you, for example, when you're doing a blind tasting, you're not you're standing up in front of a jury, and if you get far, if you get to the finals, you're standing up in front of cameras and an audience. Right. Well, yeah. So, so if you've seen some, yeah. you're always in a small room, yeah. even the service yeah, part. This sitting is down. in a theater. Yeah. So you got to like ramp up the charm a little wow. bit. I think. That's got to yeah. be nerve-wracking. It is absolutely. So yeah, you're judged on theory, and that of course becomes super granular, very esoteric knowledge about everything in the world of wine, spirits, Mattingly esoteric, as you beer. said. Oh, yeah. I've, I've forgotten a lot of it already, even a couple of years later. It's like if you don't I, – I would wake up every, every morning and spend an hour or two just re, on just repetition of knowledge that I had but to that's, put But that's yeah. human nature. Oh, you know, you prepare. Yeah. But talk to me about the prep yeah. thing. I mean, in reality – to prep for this, how far back and how long were you focused well, on this? It was an ongoing process, like so from like, from the other competitions. Yeah, so it was there was always like the next target. Um, but I would say, you know, I spent seven years on this, and seven years what every day? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it it comes and goes in waves. I would say the last three, or really the last four, I knew that I was going to be competing for the best of the world, and I ramped it up and I laid it out and I studied how to study and i studied then a lot and it's not just you know so what what i would do is i would i would spend a lot of time reading and trying to you know eke out the the facts from books or you know sketchy websites or whatever it is and and then you know to to really (laughs) memorize all that you i would i would uh yeah wake up every morning and and do a lot of repetition and flashcards and all that nonsense Blind tasting so you is You spend huge. a few hours a day. Absolutely. You know, yeah. f- for the last two, three years, you're saying, oh, yeah. you, you, your head of, was down. Thousands of hours, yeah. For sure. And Nothing less would have worked, right? No, absolutely not. Like the most, you know, my, my, the two predecessors that won this title before me spent 
um, you know, they were in their um, close to or in their 50s when they won. They spent 20 years between, between winning the best of their country and then trying again and again and again to get to the title. But that, of, uh, you know, that's your competitive best. spirit that you talk yeah, about. Yeah, I, 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 I think I identified sort of along the way that I, I, I would do it at a very, I would do it within high intensity and get in and get out. And I would have, if I hadn't won in 2016, I wouldn't have done it again. I knew that I, was you know, my last shot. I was going to ask you that. It, yeah. it, it almost yeah. sounds like as you get older, it's just harder yeah. as far as distractions, maybe a kid, a marriage job. Absolutely not. I don't now, think now your brain is as intensely fresh. Mm-hmm. You know, so I could I never mean, do it again. You, right. <laughs> you caught the window yeah. on yeah. You know, all of that. Um, you said there were three elements to it. Yeah. Just bust through them quickly. Theoretical, so theory, blind tasting. And, blind tasting and then service tasks. So theory yeah. is all the facts about wine. Theories, all the facts about wine. but Everything, it, but right? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything that can be put down on paper, but it also extends to spirits and beer and sake and cigars and everything that can you be remotely related to wine. You have to know how to light a cigar and you yeah. have to know sake. Yeah, it's absolutely. crazy. And so that's the uh, theory, yeah. knowing everything about all of those topics. Mm-hmm. Blind tasting is what it sounds like. Blind tasting is what it sounds like. You sit down. Sit down. I would, in preparation for that, I would, you know, go around the city. People like Pascaline here in the city. And tasting my, groups. Michael or... Engelman. And, and I had a tasting group going on. I would be instrumental in just like every week putting down a couple of things for me or, or making, yep. making me do it at restaurant lineup. I did that at, uh, at, at you know, Michael helped me out at the Moderns. So right. I stood up in front of the whole team and did blind tastings <laughs> and that kind of thing. So, um, and then. How many, for this specific test? Uh huh. For this specific test, how many wines did you have to blind taste? Right. I, it, 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 the competition is over several days. Oh, so okay. I would say, I can't remember specifically, but I think first day you'd taste two wines and then multiple spirits or, or beverages, just identification of those. Um, um, and then it, it ramps up so that, you know, and on day two, when they've narrowed it down to 12 candidates, there have been longer tastings. And then on on stage for the final when there's only three left you, i i would I, I can't remember how many tastings there were but there were a couple of quick ones just right. like pure identification what's this and how does it relate to these right. others and then there's at least one or two longer it's sound- tell us everything about this wine and how would you use it and how would you serve it and it sounds and- more frenetic than the uh, ms test <laughs> you know because like you said you're on the stage yeah. multiple days well there is that i mean and and that that also like the further you get the more service elements take over and on the final stage they would essentially like you'd have various tables this so is like a mock, part yeah it's a mock restaurant. like how you would yeah. serve a customer yeah in the and they would tell you like hey this table wants to or needs a, a bottle a, a magnum of red decanted and these this guy these guys over here need a bottle of champagne served over here they need wine recommendations with a with a vegetarian menu etc and then they'll trip you up along the way so it's yeah. a simulation yeah and you realized it was all about trying to bust your balls and how you held exactly. up, right? Yeah, Pretty yeah. much. So, uh, I, you know, it's a part of preparation, too. I, I you know, I spent, you know, to, to be in a good mindset or mind stage when, once you got up that far, I, you know, I spent time with an acting coach. Wow. I, yeah, I meditated every deep. day for a year. Yeah, I You got I, the uh, whole, like, yeah, uh, Zen and Feng Shui exactly. of the, you yeah. know, so the Well, it's just, I, I'm not a natural, I don't like being in front of people. So you I, had to I work get nervous, towards it. So I had to figure out a way to, 
to shed that and be ready to go once the, the, the lights are on. You know? It's amazing you say that and that you accomplish that. I mean, kudos to you for, one, doing it and winning it, but realizing it and you know yeah. doing what you needed. Um, Arvid, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I have a few more questions about... Um, the world's best sommelier competition. I want to talk about the wine program um, at Legacy. I want to get your take on a few things on wine. Then I want to subject you to our wine list, and then we're going to taste a little wine. We're talking to Arvid Rosengren from Legacy Records, the world's best sommelier. This is Sam Ben Ruby. You're listening to the Grape Nation. We'll be back in just a few. Cool. Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. Since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. Emmy is best known for importing more than 80% of Swiss Gruyere into the United States, but that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kotbalk Cave Age cheeses, Appenzeller, Tete de Moine, and traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Allison Kane, and I'm the host of In the Sauce here on HRN. Now that I'm expanding my cooking school to a sauce line in grocery stores, I need all the help I can get. And I want to help other entrepreneurs build their brands too. You can find In the Sauce wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Arvid Rosengren. Arvid is a partner and wine director at Legacy Records, part of the Delicious Hospitality Group. Um, Arvid just turned his title of best sommelier in the world over to some German guy. We won't even... In- we won't even mention his name. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I didn't lose it. I just... Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, gave I didn't... Did I see you lost <laughs> no, it? No, I'm kidding. No, no. It, every three years, you know, yeah. you didn't compete in that. Um, so answer this question quickly, because I want to get into wine and legacy and all of that. Um, now that you're moving away from being the best psalm in the world, how has all this affected what direction you want to go in and, you know, does it change your life or you have your course set well, I would I would say that after after winning that title, it was a real moment for me of, of reflection. And, and I'd been on such an autopilot path getting there that I had to sort of sit down and think, what do I do with my life now? And a lot of people who do that kind of thing, like have, have won that title in the past or, or, you know, the same thing happens to people who become MSs. The first step is they get out of the restaurant business. They stop being sommeliers. Really? <laughs> I, yeah, it's pretty prevalent. And I think you, I could have spent my time at that point, you know, being a flying wine consultant of some sort. Right. And, you know, that has its, its pros. Um, but I thought 
you know, I had this great opportunity to open a restaurant and really shape the direction of that. And I've and I, and you said earlier you like that. I love you it. You like I, being I, on the floor. I love being on the floor. With it's, people. it's stressful, but it's it's also strangely meditative. It's like right. it's immediate stress. It's stuff you can get over. It's not it's not existential stress. Right. So I I I also realized that having something like that with my sort of name on it, a, a legacy record, or it's it's sort of a physical business card. You know, it's it's my. Um, legacy, if you will. It's, right. It's and really you're, you're where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So that. So I think I'll, I'll, I'll be doing this for for a while. Everything progressed the way you want. Right. You know what's ironic to me in in talking to you a little and looking into the world's best psalm competition, it seems a little stuffy. You know, you're wearing like tuxedos and all that, and your restaurant and even the delicious group is sort of the epitome of how you do. Um, casual dining yeah um and it's done well um i think you're right i think i think at the time when i was competing i i really didn't think that the primarily old french guys that are judging this competition would sort of accept that um but and i think i was definitely the first one to win i was at charlie at the time so i was i was you know working in a in a much different environment at very different restaurants to to what those guys judge to be a good restaurant totally um but I, you know having gotten to know them now after the fact and having judged competitions with them i think everyone was ready for that everyone was ready for some sort of change in terms of what's accepted um right. and i'm i'm happy that i could you know we're we're by far not the first restaurant to to sell good wine in a casual environment no. but but have, I, I think i can at least i'm happy to have been like an an, an ambassador for that in at least in that part of uh, Do you the think wine world that's the wave where dining is going that's the good model right now you don't want to spend multi millions for a fancy place and right i mean well i mean is that what the market wants whether it's millennials or you know legacy records is not a wholly like unfancy restaurant uh but i will say that as a whole I didn't imply I think, that. yeah no but i think in in general the i think the the Making people feel comfortable and at home and welcome is the zeitgeist that we're in, and I'm wholeheartedly behind that. So that's a hospitality mission. Yeah, that's a hospitality let's, mission. Let's morph into wine. What's yeah. what's the wine mission? The wine mission. What do you want to accomplish? To accomplish? Yeah. Well, with, I think I think it's the same. It's 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 on that same thing. I think you don't necessarily have to equate. You know. Michelin stars with good wine programs or, or, you know, that, that, that whole thing just, just, I think it might be a millennial thing, but we see the, the, the aging banker types also loving, uh, Charlie bird or legacy records, having a place where they can take their ties off and relax and still drink great bottles of wine and enjoy great food. But, not have it be in a stuffy environment. I think that's huge. So talk to me about the actual wine. What you're telling me is for that guy, you better have a good lineup of some of the classics. And for other people, you got to go the other way, which may be biodynamic or new regions and all that and everything. Is that what you're accomplishing? I think so. 
I mean, maybe not everyone agrees, but I think what what, oh, I'm sure what we would. did at, at Charlie Bird and what, what we keep doing at, at, at Legacy Records is, you know, firmly rooted in sort of the classic regions of Europe, mainly because we have a good if, access to it. So if we can, you had a list of the three, four classic regions, just yeah. so people know you're... And we're talking about uh, Burgundy in France. We're talking about Champagne, the Rhone Valley, Barolo Barbaresco, German Riesling... Bordeaux, you know, those are the classics in a okay. way. Tuscany, etc. Things that are recognizable that people understand inherently, um, and you know, there are various levels of of value within those regions. Unfortunately, if you want to get the best wines of those places, they're expensive. Right. So I look, and the world of wine is like never moved faster. And there's, I think there's great wine coming out of everywhere. So, so what are some of I have this question written yeah. down. Good time. What are some of the either up and coming or good value right. or interesting wine regions? One that you like, and ultimately that probably brings it onto the list. Right. Give me some uh, well, I, areas. I, I think I've been a, a champion of of sort of new wave Spanish wine for close to a decade. You probably can't say that's up and coming anymore. But every no. time I go to Spain, there's. I, th- I think I have a good grasp on Spanish wine. Every time I go, I taste. And see labels that I've never heard of before, or never seen before. They're, they're, it's moving. It's a very dynamic scene. Are I, we talking I, like Catalonia, or even the old Rioja, Ribera? You know, what are we talking? Pretty about? much all of it. All uh, of for, it. For me, the 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 love started in the northwest, sort of Galicia, the Basque country. I used to go there a lot when I lived in Europe. Catalonia is the same thing. It took a little longer to catch on, but they're on fire right now. There's a bunch of great wine coming out of that but you see the great wine coming out of uh, the south too and central spain like the high altitude red wines that are coming out and those wines are amazing some of those wines are featured on the list absolutely that's your imprint at least to say right that's it but you you know when it comes to we're seeing great wines coming out of places like hungary and uh and closer to home places like santa barbara right now the the wines that are that are coming out of that area are are for the most part i think the most exciting on on uh, from California at this point. So um, how, I almost ask this question to everybody, how do natural wines play into your wine list? And natural wines are a broad category, right. but I think we understand you know, what yeah. the broadness is. And then I want your thoughts on natural wines and the natural wine movement. Right. I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, and I had a lot of thoughts. I even, there's a, there's a, there's a, an article or a blog post that I wrote back in, I think 2012 or 13. Wow! That I that uh, still gets passed around and gets sort of rehashed uh, once in a while, and I get a hundred comments on Facebook, angry or supportive. Right. But but what? So natural wine uh, plays a part in the sense that I support the goals of that movement. I think it's it's had a massively positive benefit on the world of wine in the way that it's made conventional producers more than anything think about their practices and we're seeing um you know pretty big famous names in places like you know bordeaux which we we thought unthinkable a few years ago you know are now certified biodynamic and making wines with its you know lower levels at least of interventions and sulfur and additives uh which is huge so they they made people they made producers think about what they were doing and that's good i Conversely, think that there's a lot of terrible wine being sold as natural wine. 
Um, so the 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 is would you agree? There's terrible wine being sold, not as natural of wine course. too. Yeah, so but it's, it's, it's just it's, not it's rarely it's rarely being heralded as a good thing. Like industrial conventional wine is terrible, and everyone knows it. True. Uh, See, that's yeah. a very good specific point. Right. I think. I think. Unfortunately, so, so here's my my. I love the. Here's what I love about the natural wine movement. A, what I said before that they made producers think about what we're doing. B, that they're bringing a crowd of people. In who would otherwise not be excited about wine. People who would be right. drinking we beer. Love that. or That's huge. And some of those people um, you know, are going are gonna to be drinking natural wine forever, but some of them are going to be drinking just good wine. And I think that's my point. I love natural wine when it's good. I don't make it a point to buy natural wine solely for our list. Right. But if it's good, and of course, the, the less stuff you put in a bottle and the less stuff you put in a vineyard more than anything is huge. That said... You know, am I going to blame the producer in a place like, you know, the wine we're drinking now or a place like, uh, you know, the Nante in, in, in the Loire Valley where it happens to rain a lot? If they have to spray one year because they're going to lose their crop, I'm not going to not buy their wine. I think that's that's not my role as a buyer. You have to be loyal and you have to support good producers too. Well, that, that's a good point because yeah. you have to react to the geographic and climate yeah, conditions. It's very easy to but be But the Loire organic. is one of the places that's yeah. you know, ground zero in, for natural wine. Yeah, if you're stuff. in southern Sicily, it's really easy to be natural. Yeah. If you're in, in a place like Bordeaux, it's really tough. Well, those are some good thoughts, and you do have natural yeah. wines on the list, and we're going to yeah. taste one in. And I, if I can have one more point, one thing yeah, that yeah, I, and what I what sure. I mainly you know what I wrote all the way back then, and what I think is still true is that I think it's a little dangerous um, for young professionals in in the sort of natural. It's easy to get caught up in that movement. It's fun, it's interesting, but there are there are still some very sort of dogmatic voices that. So to put things out ahead, and I saw this when I was in Copenhagen at the time, where everything was everything. Every new restaurant that opened was natural. Pretty was good very, movement there. Pretty early good movement, on. Very so strong you movement. were around it, and it's kind of backed off a little bit. If you look mm. at places like Noma at this point, their list is a lot more not more conventional, but I think really, you know, you've started seeing sort of a delineation that not everything that's natural is good, and and what I was getting to is that I think it's important if you're learning, if you're an up and coming sommelier. To take the chances to not discredit entire regions, or like I'm tired of hearing things like, you know, there's no good Bordeaux, or there's right. no you know, Cabernet's a shit grape. You know, people say it's stuff like that, and it's, right. it's ridiculous. I, I agree. Um, so you have to taste with an open mind, whether it's one way or the other, whether you think you're against natural wine or you're only for natural wine. Oh, anyway, everyone should have an open mind tasting. I, I agree with that, and those are really some good thoughts and some good points. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you put them Thank out you. there. Um, answer this question quickly, and then I want to go to the wine list. Is it harder to put a, and I ask a lot of people this, is it harder to put a smaller condensed wine list together, uh, you know, a la Charlie Bird? I think it's a lot harder. Than like Cedric Nikkei's at 11 Madison. Yeah. I mean, know. Cedric does a great job, and, and, and for him, it's about sourcing and always having those wines that his clients need but is available. It st- is it still harder to do the I think smallest? It is. I think it is. It's harder to find why? the balance. 
It's okay, hard to find balance, a balance is yeah. what, what what else? Be, be, you know, be, be, between prices, between regions. Um, I expanded the list at, at at Legacy. It's still small, I think. It's a couple of it's. But whatever, is there a rule pages. there? Like, is it too big for anyone? Do you want it to be under no, a certain amount of bottles? No, I think it's it's it, for me. It's it's big enough. Charlie Bird was was maybe not too small, but you what wanted happened it to at fit Charlie on that Bird, page, though, right? I wanted, you have to fit it on the page. Yeah. That's one thing. Um, the second thing is, and this is this is at Charlie Bird, it was hard to be creative. If I wanted to list, if I tasted something great from Hungary or Slovenia, ah. or it was you, you'd you'd list that at an ex, at the expense of a Chablis. More which leeway is not, here, you know. Then you're right. You got to strike a balance also you, between your guests and your business, right? So uh, I think I found a, a good balance at at Legacy. It's a it's a it's enough of the classics and the sort of benchmarks, with enough room for 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 spice in in terms but of you, but exciting you gotta work things. Towards yeah, that. but stuff you got to talk about and sell, hand sell. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that would be the case. Mm. All right, Arvid, we have a thing called the wine list. We ask all our guests five questions. We post them on social media. We got a database of the greatest people in wine and what they've been drinking. All Maybe right. one day I'll make a movie or a book. But for now, let's buzz through this. First question is, what are you drinking now? Not this vino verde, but what's, <laughs> is, are you drinking seasonal? Are you tasting a region for the restaurant? Is there something intriguing you in the fridge? What have I been drinking recently? It should just be a quick answer. Um, I have been drinking a lot of Austrian wine lately. Okay. Yeah. Um, Non-Gruner? Non-Gruner. I have been, this is very Give un, me untrendy. one or two things you're drinking been, and maybe give yeah, me a maker. I've been drinking a lot of great Sauvignon Blanc from Styria lately. Which okay. Is, Sauvignon Blanc is not my favorite grape, but okay. I've, I've found some things that really... Do you are, like the Austrian Sauvignons? Absolutely, yeah. Like better than the fact that you don't love Sauvignon? Yeah, I'd say okay. so. Yeah. All right, so that's a good Something one. Something about that, that's interesting. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. This is the goofiest question on the list, but do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Is there something, it doesn't mean you eat it every night, but something that resonates with you or when you did it, oh, wow, or if you could do it. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for really simple things, so like... Wait, we have a rule here. You can't say champagne and oysters. No, not so. Not give me that, something but, uh, but But sort of roast chicken and, and, and a good white burgundy. All right, so in your mind... A really well-made roast chicken just yeah. goes great with a white burgundy. Yeah. I now, are we talking Poulini, Montrachet? What are we talking? Probably talking Merceau more than anything. Merceau, okay. Uh, you know, it's more up to the producer at this point than, than anything Okay, else. so that's a good one. Yeah. Um, a nice Zuni chicken in San Francisco. Oh, exactly. with a, all right. <laughs> Your favorite restaurant and or wine bar, I'm going to put you in New York. Mm -hmm. I know you've traveled a lot and all that. And sometimes it's a tough question because I don't want you to leave anybody out, feel like oh, yeah. it's, it's exclusive. But who's doing it well? Like when you go there, they got the selection, they got the environment, they mm -hmm. got the knowledge. Can you think of a few places? I'll name, I'll name a couple. Uh, for if I want to do a fancy meal, I think, um, I mean, probably the best food in the city is Brooklyn Fair, I'd say. I love that place. Yeah. But, you know, if, as far as a good a restaurant as a whole combination, the modern does a, an amazing Michael job. Michael yeah. comes up many yeah. times. Um, as far as a great place where I feel really comfortable bringing my one-year-old daughter and, and, and I'll know I'll eat well and drink well, Racine is a great place. Pascaline. Yeah, yeah. Pascaline and, and Arnaud do, do a great job. You know, it's funny, like Jordan Salcedo is always at Charlie Bird with her kid. Yeah. You, what you're describing, yeah. you know, a glass of wine and a pizza or whatever. Exactly. Those are good ones. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? 
and I get so redundant, but it used to be the rarest or most expensive. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's that, but a lot of times it became experiential. You know, we yeah. had the, a Solos when we got engaged and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've had a... Yeah, tasted, not, a yeah, I mean, tasted a lot of good shit. Tasted a lot of good But, but what, what, what's, uh, what's important to you? The Probably the greatest wine experience that I've had, and this wine is not always great. It's a fancy bottle of wine, but it's unfortunately not always great, is uh, Chave Hermitage 78. I had in the cellar, and Jean-Louis' father, Gerard, served it. He made that wine. He served it. It's one of the greatest bottles of wine. Probably was, the greatest taste of wine I've ever had. Was 78 considered a killer year? It's good. It There's, wasn't necessarily. No, it's 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 a great it, it wine. It was a great. It's, yeah. Okay. Problem is the bottles of these days. Who knows? Short storing, shippage, etc. Are not always. Uh, so They're not always on point. Um, a seventy-eight yeah. shove Herman. But I'll, I'll, I'll a counterpoint. The wine that I have always in my fridge is a good fino. I'm like an Innocente Fino. It's maybe the greatest, the greatest value wine out there, and I love not Wait, so much with what food. is fino. Fino is a sherry. So, so, so a that's what I thought. Biological. So sherry, sherry. Yeah. fino, which is a type of sherry. Yeah. And what'd you say, Innocente? Yeah. Fino is that Innocente, the maker or is that the type? Brand from uh, Valdespino. Okay. Uh, I N N. It's it's I N O C A N T E. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna post um, that. Yeah. I don't so much. It's not food and wine pairing for me. It's food and cooking pairing. No, 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 no. That's that's a favorite wine of yours. You like that? Yeah. All right. Last wine, and you should be able to do this. Okay. Um, I ask everybody the best wine around 15, 20 bucks retail. Yeah. Because um, my kids are too embarrassed to bring a $9 yeah. bottle to a party and they can't <laughs> afford 40 but they want to be ballers and bring mm-hmm. something cool. So 15, 20 bucks retail. Give me a red, give me a white. It could be like a right. category Muscadet. It could be a maker. Yeah. Well, what so comes the, to the, mind? The, the Fino Sherry that I mentioned, if you like that kind of thing, and you should. Should at least try it. That's there. That's fantastic value. The wine that we're having is a is one of those for sure too. Uh, the, okay, so for the white, yeah. just say what it is quickly, and we're going to. So we're talk drinking about a, a a Vinho Verde a, uh, from from north of Portugal, right? Uh, based on the grape Loureiro, producers Afros. Okay, um, A P H R O S. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Afros. All right, Muscadet gonna... is a good bet. I mean, there's there's Muscadet few regions for white. that give yeah. me a red. You right now look for Spanish Garnacha from places like Madrid or Sierra de Gredos, um, and you'll find them for fifteen twenty bucks. Find them for uh, maybe so 20 Spanish bucks, yeah. Garnacha, yeah, which is the Grenache grape. It's the gar- yeah, it right. should be the Grenache grape. It's the Grenache. All right, grape. Those are good recos, yeah. and like I said, we'll post those on social media. Um, you know, I'll spell everything out for you. Mm-hmm. All right, Arvid, we have three minutes to mm. talk about this wine. Yeah. Um, every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip. This week we're tasting the 2016, two, 2016 Afros yeah. Vino Verde. Just quickly tell me about this wine. Yeah, so this producer... Uh, is in the north of Portugal, okay. a region called Minho. Which is really are, where most of the whites are made, yeah, north of yeah, Portugal. Exactly. It's a much different place, just like the northwest of Spain. I mean, this is, this is the extension of that. Uh, much greener, much lusher. It rains a lot. Um, okay. uh, it's still warm, but it rains a lot. So the wines are very different from the rest of the country. And as I was mentioning, <clears throat> this is, to me, a great example of how inexpensive wine doesn't have to be uh, sort of unsustainable or unconscientious and and industrial. You said made. this is biodynamic. This is biodynamic, which is, which is really... very tough to make in that sort of climate. You know, right. as I was saying, in a place where it, 
where it, it, it rains a lot, this means that they put in actual work to make this make this happen. Um, this is also made in, you know, it's not a minor quantity. The, the back label that I'm looking at says 24,666 bottles made. So it's not an industrial product. It's, no, it's, but it's, the, it's, at it's, least it's, there's some accessibility yeah, to absolutely. it. Absolutely. And you'll find this in wine shops from, you know, 16 to $20, I, I would say. This guy makes a lot of different wine. He's kind of a... Uh, so you should. This one is clean. So look and for fresh. Afros besides this particular wine. Exactly. So there are basically across the yeah, board. There are some some pet nats and there's an orange wine, yeah. and they're not. You you'll have to taste and see what you like. This one is a clean Lorero, which All right, I let's love. do a quick evaluation. Yeah. So color, there's kind of a deeper yellowish. It's not. I would it's, say so. It's yeah. not that pale. Yeah. I yeah, mean, there's not, some color there. It's clear, but it's yeah. It's got Give a little bit of color. Give me your nose descriptors. So this is this is. Not quite. I mean, it's ripe fruit, definitely. Ripe fruit. There's like riper sort of orchard fruit, sort of kind of a bitter citrus note, uh, sort of a kumquat, grapefruit kind of thing going on. Kumquat's and, a good one because there's an there's intensity. A, yeah, and there's a... Uh, but it's not all about the fruit. This is kind of, to me, mineral, and it's it's kind of herbal in a in a full way. The and palate the, is fresh. Wait, before yeah. the palate. The mouthfeel is medium. Mm-hmm. It's not a thin wine. It's not too unctuous, but it's pretty full, right? Yeah, exactly. All right, now give me the palate. Does the palate reflect the nose in any way? I think so, and I don't want to get too far deep into like fruit salad wine descriptions. I think it's more more important, like you said, talk about the structure. It's, it's got some density, but it's got a good acidic kick yep. to it, too. Good. It's not the lightest wine in the world. It's a good sort of all... Good point. Density, yeah, acidity all makes it... So what foods would we pair this with? Really any kind of seafood. Keep it simple. Keep it okay. clean. Put some octopus on the grill. Ah, uh, that's a good you one. You know, yep. throw some, some capers or something a little bitter Don't in there. Be some bitter to greens. Put something, yeah. yeah. Um, that'll, that'll, that'll do well. All right. So I will post the 2016 uh, Afros. I'll give you more information, maybe even a picture of the bottle. All right, Arvid, we got to wrap up. Time went by Pleasure pretty quickly. Um, we could talk about a lot more, and maybe we will down the road. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Grape Nation. Follow us on Instagram, at sbenruby, and the hashtag, The Grape Nation. On Twitter, we're at benruby and the hashtag, The Grape Nation. Also, subscribe to The Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Like I said, we will post Arvid's wine list answers. We'll post uh, the weekly wine sip wine and any other wines of interest that he uh, mentioned. Um, Arvid, if we want to find more about you and Legacy on social, where do we right. go? LegacyRecordsNYC.com, I oh, believe. Okay. I'm my name at everything, so at Arvid Rosengren. A-R-V-I-D-R-E-R-O-S-E-N-G-R-E-N, exactly. right? Exactly. I'm glad you did. I'm terrible at spelling. Okay. Uh, but there's only You're one Pretty of me, good so. at everything else. <laughs> All right. Thank you to our guest, Arvid Rosengren. Uh, thank you to our engineers at Heritage and Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.